all right now. What seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aleurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or chephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it! So, uh, I remember the first time I went to a counselor. I was 21 years old, and um, I was so afraid to open up that I really didn't. Like, in the middle of the night, I could be curled up in my bed, crying with anxiety and depression and just completely overwhelmed. And then I'd go to the counselor's office and, and um, not really share what was going on. So a lot of you know that now I am a counselor, and a lot has happened between now and then. Um, but I want to talk about today about fear and anxiety. I have this little book on my desk in my counseling office that is a, um, it's a very professional manual on fear, and it's called the Pop-Up Book of Phobias. And it's got fear of the dentist and fear of flying and fear of snakes and, and oh, oh, stuck in an elevator. That happened to me once. Fear of germs, my personal favorite. Um, fear of public speaking, okay? Fear of spiders, fear of tall buildings, and fear of clowns, and fear of being buried alive. So, if you are interested, you can come and take a look at that after the service here today. Um, I was reading an article by the American Psychiatric Association on a research they did in April of this year, so this is current. Um, but I want to share a few statistics of what they said. They said, here are the main categories, keeping yourself and family safe, paying bills and expenses, health, politics, relationships, were the big, the big categories. But 32% of adults say they are more anxious than they were last year. So about a third. 43% say they are about as anxious as they were last year. So we're up to 75%. And about 24% say they were actually less anxious than they were last year. So there's only 1% unaccounted for that could leave room for nobody being anxious, but either they were lying or Maybe they died in that time or something. Um, the reality is we all have anxiety. We all have fear. We all have. Some of that is a natural response to when we have threats in life. And a couple more interesting statistics were that young adults from 18 to 34 are more anxious than the older adults. And I thought, well, maybe it's because they're still experiencing a lot of new things they've never encountered. It's when you're older, you've been around the block a bit. African-Americans and Hispanics are more anxious than Caucasians. Would be food for thought. 
Um, if you get a diagnosis that's called generalized anxiety disorder, there's a certain set of criteria that I'm not necessarily going to go into. If you want to talk to me about it, you could. But uh, probably what's more important is to know that there's a continuum of anxiety. And, you know, when you get to an extreme place of anxiety, it can be so crippling and so paralyzing to keep you from doing life that um, we, need, we need to intervene in some more significant ways. I'm going to show you this video, and it's an old video from 1958, so it's black and white, and there's something about it that I find a little bit humorous, but um, it's, a, it's an experiment that was done, and it is done with monkeys, and these days probably animal rights wouldn't allow it to happen, I don't know, but I do want you to take a look at this video, so take a look. Harlow designs a set of ingenious experiments. He raises a baby monkey, allowing it to choose between two surrogate mothers. A wire mother that feeds it, and a cloth mother that doesn't. A cloth mother that Harlow thinks might provide something else, comfort and love. Here's baby 106, weaned on a wire mother. He's going to the wire mother. But this infant quickly runs to the cloth mother, where he will stay for the next 18 hours cuddling. In Harlow's mind, choosing nurturing over sustenance. In another experiment, Harlow creates a fearful situation. Whom does the infant turn to now? He was running to his mother to touch her, to drive away his fear. To Harlow, there is something about the experience of comfort and love, even more than food, that seems crucial to all these monkeys. But what happens when the infant is raised alone, without any mother at all, wire or cloth? In this situation, the orphan monkey stays alone. He won't even go to the cloth mother when frightened, but retreats into his own world. Harlow believes he has shown how want of love can damage an infant for life. And he worries the same is true for people. So the monkey in the beginning first went to the food and for the next 18 hours, just stayed and cuddled with the fuzzy cloth monkey. Uh, that love was more important than food, and that little monkey at the end that without any love just would stay in his own little hell. Like hell is the complete absence of love. Um, so I've titled this sermon after Jerry Jones. The title of this sermon is called First Run to the Fuzzy Monkey. And the reason why I'm saying Jerry Jones, those who know him know why. Bao, can you hold your cup up? Can you hold your cup in the air? You see, see his cup? It's a monkey cup. And Jerry has spread these monkey cups like all around. I have one. Most of our staff have one. He's got one. Uh, they've got some. You know, you, you can tell 
Jerry has had his influence around here. So this is for you, okay, Jerry? Um, so there is a um, branch of counseling, a branch of therapy that's called AEDP, and their whole mantra for their premise of therapy is to undo aloneness, to just undo aloneness, that being alone in our pain and our trauma and our anxiety and our fear is the damaging part. And so their whole goal is to undo aloneness. There's a lot of things that we can do with anxiety, like mindfulness or breathing or counseling or meditation. But first, we want to run to the fuzzy monkey. Um, it's possible that your anxiety is so paralyzing that maybe, maybe there's a need for some medication. But first, today, we're going to spend some time exploring what it means to go run to the fuzzy monkey. In Psalm 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Uh, you should have gotten a card as you walked in here this morning, and a pen, hopefully. And I want, to, I want you to take that card out. And if you don't have one, you can maybe do this in your head. I probably have a few up here if somebody wants one. Somebody doesn't have one, but a little white card. And I want you to take a moment to just, what have, been your what have you been anxious about this week? Just to name it. Like, like maybe the category, but I want you to just take a moment to name what are the things I've been anxious about this week. I'm going to give a little bit of time. Does anybody want a card who doesn't have one or a pen? If you don't have a card, maybe you can think of one or two. And even as you're reflecting on this, take a moment to notice what's happening in your body even as you write these down. Maybe what emotions come up for you. I did this, and actually last night I had them do this, and a guy was wearing his, um, a band that measured his heart rate, and he said, when I started writing them down, I looked at my band, and my heart rate jumped from 60 beats per minute to over 100, just while he was writing these down. So here's some on my list, okay? One was this week preparing a sermon, missing a board meeting, hiking Mount Bierstadt, and when I got to the top, realizing I hope I can make it down before I have to go to the bathroom because there's no tree line up here, and I don't know what I would do. Um, keeping up with all the modes of communication between text and email and, and you know voicemail, it creates anxiety for me. Uh, retirement and figuring out finances. Losing my phone this week was a big one. Fearing how I would communicate with my brother picking him up at the airport because I didn't have my phone. Facing Bill being upset with me after losing my phone and wasting his time looking for it. <laughs> Fearing that someone would find my phone and steal my information and I'd lose my pictures and get into my bank account and steal my identity. And then finally feeling stupid after finding my phone and realizing where I had put it. So that's some on my list. Um, you're going to sit with your list, and I'm going to 
invite you to do something with that later if you would like, and I'll tell you more on that. Our typical approach to anxiety is this. How do I get rid of it? What's wrong with me? Um, How do I stop this? How do I keep my anxiety from coming? Which often adds more anxiety, and it's kind of a paradox. Today, I want to invite you to think about anxiety in a new way. Um, My picture for this is when you're driving in your car and your engine light comes on the dashboard, there's something going on in the engine that you need to pay attention to, right? But the light itself is kind of like your anxiety light. It's coming on. If I were only trying to get rid of the anxiety, I would probably pull a hammer out and pound that light in the dashboard till a freaking thing goes away, <laughs> right? But that's not really what it's there for. It's there for a reason. It's there for a purpose. And the purpose of that light coming on your dashboard is to go open the hood and take a look at what's going on in your engine. And in a very similar way, when anxiety is coming up, I have learned over the years not to go what's wrong, but that something's right. Like I'm wired in a way that those alarms are, are leading me, guiding me. They're meant to be there for a purpose. There are times when I think about like what is God up to when it comes to anxiety? And I have a newsflash for you. God really isn't interested in only fixing your anxiety. There's something he wants more. In 1 Samuel 8, 18, it says, Then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. The king is all those other things we run to that are false kings, where I want to be in control. And in Psalm 22, says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, I have no rest. Maybe there's more going on. That light on the dashboard is there for a reason, for you to explore what's going on in your your engine. Your thoughts, your emotions, your beliefs, your needs, your dreams, your, your wants. Psalm 51 says, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. The innermost being. I've found it takes sometimes a lot. The anxiety can be swirling around and swirling around in a way that if we're just stopping the anxiety, we never go down into the innermost being. So a lot of you know that um, I love to, one of my passions is to blend kind of psychology and spirituality and see where those two come together. And today I want to explore a little bit of what it looks like to go under the hood and explore together of what's, what's in our engine. How are we wired? How are we made? And understand something about that. Um, this first diagram I want to show you is called a, a window of tolerance. And the blue lines there are kind of a window of amount of emotion I can tolerate. The happy, sad, peace, disgusted, angry, sad, lonely, all those emotions may happen in a given day or a given week, and you can see the line kind of going up and down through it all. And the blue lines represent, 
I'm okay with feeling those emotions and I don't, I don't freak out that I kind of know how to use those as my guide and how to connect with people in those. And when you get outside of your window of tolerance on the big emotion end, we experience it as anxiety. And when we have no emotion and we feel numb or blah or blue or disconnected or disassociated even, we will experience it more like depression. So the window of tolerance, um, if some of you grew up like me, your window of of tolerance was about this narrow. And it didn't take much because uh, I grew up in a family that didn't really express a lot of emotion very freely, so it didn't take much to go, (laughs) and sometimes we can swing between the two. So what is God up to? I think he's, in the, in, he's up to with our anxiety. He's expanding our window of tolerance so that when I feel hurt or lonely or rejected or happy or joy or excited or any of them, I'm expanding my ability to feel. I'm ex- he's enlarging my heart because when we're numb and cut off and no feeling and have a heart of stone, He's looking for a heart that loves and loves deeply. And I have found that the more I enter my suffering, the more is my capacity for joy as well. So secondly, a thing about anxiety is that I've found anxiety is kind of like a, so you can see all those emotions in there, but anxiety is kind of really a ball of a whole bunch of other emotions. I'm angry about this, I'm sad about this, I feel rejected here and lonely here and guilty here and ashamed here. And it's all like this energy like moving around in there. And kind of like, um, you know, this happened a few Sundays ago, I pulled out a necklace to wear and it was all like tied up in knots. And I I don't have time to sit there and if you know how, that takes so long to untangle a silver chain. And you have to get a pin and like, pull it out until you like get far enough out that you have clarity of go, oh, this goes here and that goes there. But I've found with anxiety, we need a lot of space to go, what am I angry about? What do I feel guilty about? What am I ashamed of? What am I hurting about? And we need to like hear every one of those and give space and find a way to connect and pull those apart in a way where we understand what is happening with us. So another thing about anxiety is um, a lot of times what starts to grow is that I can be very anxious, kind of like I described earlier with that early counselor. I could have a lot of anxiety in here, but I'm controlling it out here. Like, you won't know about it. I won't show you. I'll try my best to put on a good act and look professional or look like I can do okay at work or whatever. And on the inside is something very different. And I've found the greater the gap between those two, the more anxiety you're going to have. Because I'm faking it. (laughs) There's something very incongruent. And eventually, that starts to show up. This is partly why secrets are so damaging. You know, when we have a secret, uh, I, I had some secrets I carried for years and didn't tell a soul. And it was terrifying for me to eventually reveal to a counselor or a boyfriend at the time um, what was going on with me in a way that it was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much pressure and anxiety that was creating for me. Because anytime someone got close to that secret, it was like, 
back off. Um, I think there's something very healthy about um, having at least someone who knows all your secrets. In AA, they even say, you are as sick as your secrets. So um, it's part of the gap between what I show you out here and what's happening in here. I'm sure you've experienced this, but any time an emotional reaction is bigger than what the situation may call for, it's saying there is more to the story. There is a history of something that's going on. And my picture for this is kind of like I'm trying to hold balls underwater, and um, eventually I can't hold them, and something happens out here. Maybe I picture myself trying to hold all these balls underwater, and then you throw me a ball from the outside, and as I lift my hand to catch it, one pops up. <laughs> okay? So a trigger is um, something that happens where something in the present is sparking a reaction that is fueled by something in my past. I'll give you a couple of examples of this. Sometimes I'll work with sexual abuse, and somebody who has been sexually abused, let's say their perpetrator had um, been wearing a particular cologne. Fast forward 25 years later, and you're just walking in the mall, and you walk by somebody and you smell that cologne. And here comes a flood of emotion and anxiety because it just triggered everything that you had associated with that smell. The triggers don't necessarily have to be external. Sometimes the trigger is just, I have a thought. I have a thought that uh, Steve doesn't like me. He, and nothing's happened out here. Steve didn't do anything, but I just had this thought. I don't really think Steve likes me. And here comes the anxiety. So it can be an internal trigger. It can be an emotion. It can be an emotion like powerless. Um, if I had some abuse where I felt powerless over here, and now, um, now I'm working at work, and I have a boss where whatever I say he doesn't seem to listen to, and I can't get anywhere, and I feel powerless. Completely different situations, but the same emotion, powerless and powerless. And so I find myself reacting in ways that perhaps I never got to do back here. So this buildup of emotions over our lives can happen in a way where um, we get more and more anxious along the way. Um, but this, I'm going to have you look at this emotional scale. I want you to picture this scale of anxiety. And 0 to 10, 10 being the highest level of anxiety that you might feel, and 0 being little or none um, in a given moment that let's say you grow up and you have multiple experiences of somebody leaving you. Maybe a parent left you when you were young and your parent, you know, remarried, divorced. Maybe they were just never there for you emotionally. Maybe every time you tried out for something in school, you didn't make the team or the club and you're, you got grades that weren't so great and you have this long history. And let's say every time you had one of those, you shot up to a 10. And then it starts to come down, and then another one happens. And it starts to come down, and another one happens. And it starts to come down, and another one happens, where eventually, you maybe like, show the next slide, like you haven't been below a seven in a really long time, and your seven is kind of like the new zero. So the new zero is like, that's my new kind of baseline. 
And now, let's say something happens where, for anybody on the planet, would be three points worth of anxiety. A lot of people would be down here at a three, but where am I going to be? I'm going to be at a ten. So God is in the middle of using your anxiety to, as an invitation to go deeper. He wants to go back and help read your story. He wants to go back and change the meaning of these events where perhaps you've logged in, I'm not wanted, or I'm not good enough, or I don't matter, or I'm invisible, or I have no voice. He wants to go back and be with you in all of those past scenes and kind of like get your scale back (laughs) and um, be your comfort. I've found that it really takes a lot of time to just linger and some of the therapies that are out there are really wonderful and even though they may not be directly Christian I find myself seeing God in them right and left because it's like making space to just accept people right where they are and air out all those things in a way that it's like wow change and work and insights and wisdom and stuff just starts to happen in a way that I have come to realize we really do grow by grace just as much as we may be saved by grace rather than our own efforts when we have just made space to be. In doing so, it usually cuts through our pride, our ego, and our control. It's like all those balls I'm holding underwater, I'm going to quit trying to control them. I'm just going to, I'm going to let them pop up. But I'm going to do it in relationship with God and with others. I have found that when I take a good look at my fears, you know, even on your list, if you look at something on your list, I pick something on mine, and if I go, well, what if that happened? What if I was on Mount Beerset and I really just couldn't hold it anymore and I had to go to the bathroom and there's no tree line, there's no nothing, and, you know, what would I do? Oh, I don't know. I'd figure out a way for my brother to hold up a jacket or something, <laughs> whatever, but I'd be super, super embarrassed, and, and, um, and well, well, what if that happened? Well, what if I made a mess, and what if it's obvious, and, you know, and I have to go down the hill? Well, what if that happened? Well, then I'd have to sit in my car and make a mess in my car, and, well, what if that happened? <laughs> you know, so if you keep following the fear, um, a lot of times the fears can be boiled down to a couple of things that I have found. One is not being in control. I'm afraid I'm not going to be in control. Not going to be in control of fear, shame, embarrassment. I have a fear that I, um, fear of the unknown is a big one. The fear of the unknown of, you know, I didn't know if I could make it, I didn't know what would happen. Um, And here's the biggest one, the fear of not being connected. What would people think of me? I would like feel disconnected from anyone that, like what if someone knew me up there and whatnot. Um, But those fears, not being in control, not being in the know, the fear of the unknown, and not being connected. And now think about who God is and what he is like. God is in control. He's sovereign. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows the past, the present, the future. He's all-knowing. He knows all the wisdom that doctors and scientists may have. Um, He's in all of that. He already knew it. They just came up with names for everything. Um, he He is the ultimate connection because God is love. 
God is in control. He knows all things, and he wants to be connected to you and to me. In that very place of fear, he's inviting us into connection. I have these five verses I'm going to throw up at the same time. And I want you to just read these and think, what do they all have in common? Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. For I, the Lord your God, holy, holding your right hand, it is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What's in common? Fear is absolutely one of them, yes. And what else? Fear plus, what was that? God is with us. Fear and God is with us. God wants to connect with us right in the midst of our fears. Our tendency is to go away from connection and to try to control it. We may try to control it with food, with alcohol, with marijuana, with power, with status, with work harder, try harder. This is a lot of how our addictions get formed. Instead of going inward, we go outward to attach to a thing rather than a person. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, he says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. He's the fuzzy monkey. He's, he's the one that we can run to, that we don't even really have to be afraid of our fear, if our fear is the very thing that drives us into the presence of God. Then it's like what, what may have been used for evil is now turned in for good. The fear that could take us away from connection could be the very thing that if we will listen to it and kind of be with it can drive us and lead us right into God himself. God connects, connects with our innermost being and we find out that he is the truth, that he is the wisdom, and that our deep truth is wrapped up in what he thinks about us. The value, the love, the acceptance, the forgiveness in our past, present, fears, uh, future, our secrets, our story, our, our greatness, our calling, our purpose. When all of our emotions and anxieties are unraveled, that's when we find the still, quiet place in our hearts. God is calm. God is curious. God is clarity. God is compassion. God is confidence. God is creative. God is courageous. 
and God is connected to you, in you. And he wants to raise our awareness of what is already true, deep inside. And then, as we connect at this deep level with him and in a relationship with him, in conversation with him, he may whisper in your ear something like, breathe with me because I am in your breath. Be mindful because I am in the moment. I am. Move your body because in you I live and move and have my being. I am the energy, the life force within you. He might whisper, let's go talk to a counselor, because I counsel through counselors sometimes, and I'll, I'll reveal to you what parts you should resonate with and listen to with the counselor and which parts to don't fit. He might whisper, talk to your best friend. Tell him that secret you've never told anyone. God is your best friend. He already knows the secrets. And he would, he would speak and give you like Jesus with skin on him if I go talk to my best friend. He might whisper, let's go read a book together. But I'll spark your heart of which parts to underline and which ones to let go of. He may go see, go a doctor. He's the great physician that works through other physicians. He may lead you to say, I'm going to take a medication. God has made all the substances of the world and used them sometimes as medicine to help us in a particular scenario. He may also be whispering in your ear, no, don't take medication. This is not for you at this time. I have other ways of working in your life. He may say, let's take a class. I'm your rabbi, and I'll be your teacher. And in that class, I'll open your ears to things that you needed to hear. He may say, join a group. God likes groups. He says, I'm in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's just three of us, but we're a really solid group. <laughs> um, and he's actually inviting us into that group. He may say, let's volunteer. Kathleen mentioned several here today. Um, volunteering that let's do this together let's do this in relationship you can do all those things I just mentioned from an energy of control like I'm just trying to get my anxiety away or you can do all those things from a spirit or an energy of connection I want to connect with God I want to connect with myself I want to connect with other people and it can be drawing you into the very connection, into that place where you know you are not alone. Some of you know this, but over the last nine months, it's been quite a journey in the Forjoni household. Um, Bill's daughter, my stepdaughter, Christy, she is usually here, but she is out in Memphis, Tennessee today. And um, last December, uh, twice in one night, she went to the ER at the hospital with symptoms that were just like her system was just kind of going crazy and had no idea what was going on and uh, heart racing and all kinds of things. Then the doctors didn't quite know what it was. And, um, you know, just we spent the next three months not knowing what was going on, uh, having no understanding and going to this doctor and that doctor and, and um, trying to figure it out. And 
you know, for three months, there were many, many nights of her in tears, us in tears, her fiance in tears, uh, praying over her, praying with her, um, trying to support her and walk her through things and just being with her in the middle of that. And there was one time when we came and met with Peter and Susan here after church, and Susan had a vision for her, and the vision was a picture of Christy as an adult with the little girl inside of her that was terrified and afraid, playing hopscotch together, and being free like little kids and kind of like the freedom of playing hopscotch and just kind of a picture of how you will get through this, you will be free again, you will experience laughter and joy and all those things. And this was kind of one of those, like, I always think this is one of the ways God whispers to us, but like a couple days after that prayer, after that vision Susan had, um, they were looking for a parking spot in our condo downtown because they live just three floors above us. And um, they found a guy in the three floors up or somewhere that had a parking space to rent. And so they went over to work out the deal to their condo. And they walk in the condo, and of all things, they have a hopscotch on the floor. It's like one of those little God whispers and one of those little reminders that is just like you can't hardly orchestrate that, right? And so Christy has since, so this is one of those things where, you know, like all things work together for good, even your anxiety. Part of Christy's anxiety was going on the internet and searching and searching and searching it. And part of that would just make all the fears worse. You know how this goes. You can read something and think, that's me, that's me, that's me. And, um, and yet, that search led her to this amazing doctor who specializes in what we now know she has an autoimmune disorder. And this doctor is amazing, Dr. Schofield, and she uh, knew the right tests and what to look for and what kind of diet she needed to be on and how to put this package together in a way that um, was what Christy is needing. And so she has been on these treatments now for a couple of months and is improving. Many ups and downs still, but not quite at the level those first three months that were just terrifying. And um, I will say, you know, I, I don't have kids of my own. So Christy and Jesse and Brett, they mean the world to me. Um, and while I would never wish this on anybody, I so value the closeness that I have with her and with Bill and her fiance through the turmoil of these last nine months because we have connected in ways that we would have never done through that. And again, my prayer and my wish that she's healed tomorrow. Um, but there has been very much a lot of connection through all of this. I asked Christy the other day if she would email me, in the midst of your anxiety, what has been meaningful to you? And, and I want to share what she said. Top of her list was prayer, reading the Bible, and remembering God's promises of a hope and a future. And that's all new, new for her. This was new for her. Time with her family, spending time going outside on walks, um, listening to books and podcasts and volunteering at Mean Street Ministries, which she's still doing, going to movies, journaling, and learning my triggers and how to work with my anxiety. So, uh, 
Anytime now when I hear of somebody who has an autoimmune disorder or some kind of illness and there is a whole nother level of compassion and understanding and like when someone shares that it's like oh yeah I get that and so when God takes us through trials and suffering and fears and all those things um, he is expanding your capacity to love and be loved as we go to communion here today um, I was thinking about you know what what makes it safe to run to somebody when you're feeling beaten up and bruised and bloody and destroyed and anxiety off the charts what really makes somebody else safe to go to is when they say me too when they say I understand I get it I've, I've been there I'm in it now I feel the same things you feel and so to run to somebody who gets it is important right so when we come to the cross we have Jesus who was man talk about anxiety off the charts he was so anxious he was like dripping drops of blood instead of sweat as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane he was um, already uh, he, he was already being persecuted but he was about to be really physically in a lot of pain and he understands he knows he sympathizes with our weaknesses and with our struggles and so as you come to the table um, he's saying I'm with you you're not alone you can cling to me and as we come to communion today um, we're going to do something just a little bit different okay this is going to be an invitation to come to communion and after communion actually I'll move this this microphone right here is going to be right here in the middle so you'll come through the communion lines here and uh, after you take communion you, you have an invitation you don't have to but this is an invitation to kind of move right into your anxiety into connection connection with whoever is here today like I'm gonna connect with you by sharing what I've been anxious about and all I want you to do is to name it not tell the whole story just name it um, whether it be about finances or health or whatever it might be you can share one or two or three um, but it's just meant to be brief and Vince is going to be playing some music in the background for that time and as we hear one another's fears and anxieties just kind of noticing what happens as we as we share in this together we share in our sufferings together so Jesus is Jesus shares in our sufferings and the night that he was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it saying take and eat this is my body broken for you and then he also took the cup and he poured it saying this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins so as you come to the table you can take a piece of bread and tear it off and dip it in the cup and come with your fears and run to the fuzzy monkey otherwise known as God today okay there is a gluten-free option over there on your left and after you take communion 
I'm inviting you an opportunity to experience a little bit of what we talked about today. And that is to just simply pick up the microphone, share what your anxiety was about, and you can return to your seat. You are not alone. I really appreciate those who came and shared this morning. And part of what I wanted to experience this morning through that is that you're not alone. When you start sharing your anxieties and experiencing a connection, um, sometimes it's through those connections that somebody's heart wells up with compassion or care and wants to give to you, wants to provide for you, wants to be there for you, wants to talk some more. Um, so even if you didn't come up here and share in the microphone yourself, find someone to connect with that God in them, you can experience that you're not alone. Um, in, my, in my practice downtown, my counseling practice, uh, I work with people who are Christian, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, Jewish, Hindu, uh, you name it. And I have found that they, we are far more similar than we are different. And we are all looking for this one thing that is in common, no matter where people might say they're coming from, they still want to love and be loved. That's the one thing I can find in common, no matter what people may say about where they're coming from. They all want to be connected. They all want to be known. They all want to be in relationship. So as you go here today, um, find a way to run to the fuzzy monkey, God, God through people, and then be that for someone else. For God loves us, and then we love one another. So in Jesus' name, amen.